PT Pro Talk Podcast, the fastest way to increase your knowledge with the brightest minds of physical therapy in your pocket. Welcome to PT Pro Talk Podcast. I am Ariana Tondo, your host for today. In this episode, Aiden Turner is going to talk about the musculoskeletal epidemic, how COVID affected traditional care, telept, and more. Aiden is a PT with 30 years of experience, a McKenzie certified clinician, and the founder and CEO of Virtual Physical Therapists, a tele-rehab practice. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Aideen. Welcome to PT Pro Talk. How are you today? Thank you. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you for allowing me this great opportunity. I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, I really admire you and your work. Um, you are starting your own business as a woman entrepreneur with McKenzie background. So I was just telling you, I hope I'm, I am like you when I grow up. So <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to pick your brain a little bit. Absolutely. So let's jump right in. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your career, and how did you get to where you are right now? Sure, sure. Well, I have a very long career. I've been practicing for over 30 years. Hard to believe. Um, early on, I worked mostly in sports medicine and even taught orthopedics. And then my career took a big shift. I went into on-site, industrial on-site PT. And what that is, it's bringing the physical therapist out of the clinic and into the workplace. So my role was to train clinicians nationally how to treat patients at their work site. So we would go, like if a patient was working um, welding in the wing of an airplane, we, the therapist would go inside the wing and show them how to weld correctly, use ergonomics. So it was you know, getting therapists out of their comfort zones, but showing how they could treat without any equipment and still get great results. So from there, I then started my own clinic and then a long roundabout way, a patient approached me, called me one day. He had been a patient of ours two years prior, begging for help. He had thrown out his back again and couldn't get out of bed. And as a McKenzie clinician, you know, he's just shifted right or left. So I'm trying to tell him what to do over the phone. And he begged me, he said, please just FaceTime me. I don't know if I'm right or left. And I said, you know, if you can't get into our clinic, this is six years ago. I'm like, just have your wife help you. And he was like, she's only five foot one. I'm six four. She can't help me. So I told him six years ago, you need to call an ambulance and go to the ER and then get to our clinic and we can treat you. He would have no parts of that. He says, no, you have to help me. So I, I thought it was against my license. I didn't have any of my other clinicians do it. I FaceTimed him for five minutes. I just need to know if he was right or left. And we know what to do. Told him what to do in bed. Five days later, he was 85% better and back to work. So he, and I'm kind of busy clinic. He kept coming back to me. You need to do this. You need to go where your patients are. So that's what launched my telehealth practice. It wasn't my brainchild. A patient actually made me do it. So I sold my clinic and it's been a struggle. It was a big struggle because before COVID, everybody looked at us like we had three heads. Like you, there's no, it's impossible <laughs> to do physical therapy virtually unless you talk to a McKenzie clinician. All the McKenzie clinicians were like, I've been doing this for years. <laughs> Absolutely, you can do it. But the rest of the world and the majority of PTs are against it. Now, when COVID hit, things changed, but we're still in that, you know, people don't think we can do it. So, you know, that's where we are now. So I imagine like 
with everything that happened, how could you imagine that this was about to happen, the pandemic, and then you were like miles ahead of everybody. So that's probably like, well, that was worth it to take this risk and, and do yes, something it, different. I mean, it, it was a struggle because way back, you know, six years ago, we didn't know about, we spent all of our money on legal issues. Are we, by each state, we had to know, are we allowed to do this or not? So if you open up a telehealth practice today, all the things that we spend so much time and money on is a no brainer now. But back then we weren't sure I had all, you know, lawyers looking into like 90% of our um, physical therapy um, regulations had no, they wouldn't, they had no idea if you were allowed to do this. So we had to contact each board and find out. So it was a struggle initially. Um, but yes, when COVID finally hit, we had a lot of contracts lined up. And then they had nowhere else to go. They had to come with us. So overnight, we, you know, we were struggling. We had all these big, huge um, bills to pay, loans to pay, um, and we're barely making it. COVID hit. We had, you know, um, we went from, you know, two patients a day to 700 patients a day overnight. Oh and I'm exaggerating God. a little bit. And then, of course, our app was crashing. I mean, we had it was such it was very stressful last March. Um, but we made it through um, and now we're on the other side. Things have calmed down. And most importantly, we have our outcomes. Yeah. So yeah, that's holy. And that's awesome that you were like ready and set to go. And then all this hard work and everything that you had to go through to, to start this, uh, then suddenly it boomed. So I think that's just, <laughs> it's a good problem to have. <laughs> it's a good problem to have because, you know, the months before that, you know, our loans were so incredible. Like we weren't making it, we, you know, we were struggling. So, and that's just what an entrepreneur does. That you, you know, you, you're on your own, you got to figure it out. And we were just lucky that COVID hit. That happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, so let's talk about musculoskeletal disorders. Um, so what is wrong with our current path of treatments for MSDs? And why are disability rates so um, high, increasing? Now, this is what I talk about every day. And I tell everybody, we are in the midst of a musculoskeletal epidemic. One in two Americans have a musculoskeletal problem that we all know. It's costing $213 billion a year. And I'm constantly posting on social media. The trends are going up. We're get, our patients are getting more and more disabled. They, they require more and more care, more and more surgeries, more and more MRIs we're making it worse. We're not making it better with all of our advancements in um, technology and health. We're destroying musculoskeletal problems. So what is the cause? And research has told us, we, we, if you look at the research, where, where do you get good outcomes? It's the passive care. So the more we do to a patient to get uh, that's passive, the sicker they get. And that starts out with an MRI. You know, I, I, I always say the MRI is the greatest sales funnel. You get an MRI, your chances, and I would love to see this research. If you get an MRI, your chances of having surgery go through the roof. And I preach to employers, my patient gets an MRI, I need an additional eight visits just to talk them off the cliff because the MRI is gonna show them something's wrong. And all the McKenzie clinicians out there know that I'm 51. So my MRI of any joint is gonna show all kinds of stuff. But unfortunately, we don't even have the cause of the problem. So if I have back pain, I go in, I'm 51. I, you know, I have an 80% chance of degenerative disc disease, 80% chance of multiple bulging, but maybe I have cancer that's preferred. They're gonna look at my MRI and they're gonna treat me based on that diagnosis. And unfortunately that's what we see with our results. 
clinician, uh, patients, you know, rotator cuff tear is a big diagnosis, it's a big surgery. And our internal numbers, I'm trying to get this together to put some research out. Um, there was a, a recent study that said that 42% of the time that isolated extremity symptoms are referred from the spine. So we need to clear that spine. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen unless you have a select clinician that knows to do that. Our internal numbers with rotator cuff tears, 50% of the time about, not as much higher than 42, that diagnosis was flipped to cervical. And then that's 50% of them. And then the other majority of rotator cuff tears end up being, you know, at derangements. So yes, it shows up on an MRI and we can't go down that path of just treating by a picture. So the musculoskeletal epidemic, the more passive care we give, the more you need me to fix you, the sicker that patient gets. We're putting in their head that they are sick. This is a problem. They have a herniated disc oh, for the rest of their life. They're disabled. That's what we have to get away from. So, and how do we get out of this system? That's the, the hardest part because we know the way we treat, the way the units work and what it got to be. And you, we do still a lot of passive treatment on the, the, the traditional clinics. Mm -hmm. So how do we see us getting out of this system? Well, this is what I tell all the employers. The number one thing we have to start is get the lower level clinician to be the gatekeeper. So for musculoskeletal disorders, why are they going to the primary doctor first? How much training do they have? I mean, they get someone back pain. What are they going to do? A medication. And it's, is it chemical pain or mechanical? They don't, they don't have a clue. So they go, th they start the system. They have back pain. They get a medication. They maybe get an x-ray, wait a couple of weeks. Now they have to make an appointment with their ortho, with an ortho. It takes another couple of weeks. They're getting an MRI. They're going down this whole path. It should erase all of that. It should be an instant evaluation with a clinician that focuses, again, this is from our research, keeping the patient active, keeping the patient at work. So these are the two most important, not in, MDT is phenomenal, but the, keep them person active. And that's what that McKenzie uh, teaches. Um, but that's what we need to do. And McKenzie clinicians, you know, just as important as reducing their pain is reducing their fear. Fear is huge. You have a whole chronic pain cycle and it, the oxygen to chronic pain is fear. You remove fear, you end chronic pain. So that's, and that's, so day one, get right away. Okay. You, you have symptoms down your leg. They're always afraid they have cancer. Number one. So there's all kinds of fear in there. We evaluate them. We educate them, reduce that fear, keep them moving. And you keep them out of the medication, the radiographs, get no MRIs, get them better quicker. And that's where I see the future should be is completely disrupting our current path. Get them to a physical therapist first. Yeah, so it's interesting that I had a conversation with George Sub, um, the the other uh, McKenzie instructor, and he was talking about this effect that we think a lot about the direction of preference, like the exercises and all of that, but sometimes we overlook that we are just moving them, keeping them active. That also helps. Mm -hmm. Well, what are the really effects of just making this person to move? four or five times a day. So that was another like point of view that I, that I thought it was very interesting. Just as you mentioned, just keeping the patient active. So I think that's very important too. That fear, the fear, we got to get rid yeah. of that fear. Yeah. Uh, so I think you kind of asked my next question. What can be done to change this musculoskeletal epidemic? 
And, you know, I said the gatekeeper should be the physical therapist. But again, the you know, there is a time and place for passive care. Absolutely. Just as like there's a time and place to cast a fracture. But the cast comes off. You don't want to keep that cast on forever. That passive care has to be very short lived initially. Okay, if the person needs it, just like Mackenzie says, if the person does need it, yes. And everybody likes the hands on. Everybody wants to be touched. And but we our role as a physical therapist is really a coach or a motivator. It's not I'm your fixer. So we need to coach them how to fix themselves. So, um, yes, the most. But if we have physical therapists that just do passive care. No, we're not helping patients again. Um, So it's got to be the right clinician that empowers a patient and gets them to stay active. And and do you think that we have to go so straight to the, the, the patient to change this whole cycle? Because the natural, their natural um, thought is go to the PCP and follow all the steps. So how do you think we can change that? Do you think it's talking directly with the, the customer, with the, the patient? Or how do you see that? You know, it's always follow the money. It's that, that's your pain point. It's always follow the money. Um, so things that I think should be fixed. Like, I don't, I don't like the way we bill on HICFA 1500 forms, but if you're ever going to have your business grow, unfortunately, the middlemen have to get their cut. Um, so it's going to be here to stay. I love, you know, pace rates and all of that. And it's great if that employer is really educated, but we have to go where the money is and who pays the bill, the employers and the patients. So everybody in healthcare that's making money, we like the way the system is. The more, I mean, I owned a clinic, the more visits, the more you get paid. Um, But things that can change. And I'm hoping, you know, the patient is becoming the central person decision maker, but that employer also, he's the one really paying the bill. So not your physicians, you need to go to that employer. We need to educate them. Not the insurance carriers, remember, everybody else is making money. So they don't hurt. They want more visits. Every third party payer, every, you know, anyone that's making, that is in healthcare right now is making money, but the person paying the bill, they're the only ones that care. Yeah, absolutely. That's your pain point. Yeah. And just, uh, I'm curious, do you have your patients, do they have resistance or doing a virtual PT because of the hands-on component? Like how do you educate them? Do they mm-hmm. have a lot, do you have a lot of pushback on that part? Um, that's a great question, actually. And I'm going to add a question to that. I get asked all the time what patients are proper for virtual care and what are not. So initially, this is going to be a roundabout answer. Initially, I always said, you know, uh, we can't treat chronic pain. We can't treat balance disorders. We can't treat. I, I thought it was a sh- I would have said a shift, but that was my very first patient. <laughs> and I've come full circle. Mackenzie has taught us a lot of come full circle and what patient is the correct patient. And it really depends on their personality, not their diagnosis. So the patient should be able to choose, do they want virtual care or not? Um, Now we do lose a lot of patients initially because they would be a great success. COVID pushed everybody to us. So they, patients were, wow. They were like, I didn't know you could do this. I've never been evaluated like this before. They just look at it and ask me a couple of questions, but you guys are actually, that's the biggest thing we hear. Um, the one-on-one care, especially with our chronic pain patients, because I was, I said, oh no, they need the TLC in a clinic. They need someone to touch them. And they're who we got our greatest feedback from. They're like, it's the first time someone's listened to me. 
because they don't need the distractions of a clinic. They like that one-on-one. You get to meet their cat. We get to meet their dog. So uh, to come back to your question, the patient really needs to make that decision. I want that patient to be the decision maker because, again, that empowers them. If they're forced into something, you're starting out on the wrong foot to begin with. So, yes, we lose a lot of patients that would have benefited, but, you know, it's tough. You want to empower them first. I think that's very interesting what you just said, because um, some people, they put more value in the attention that they feel they are receiving and being heard than actually the hands-on, because you can go to a clinic and have 10 or 15 minutes of hands-on, and then the PT is busy seeing two or three patients at the same time, and that hands-on is not the attention the person really needs and feels that they are getting the attention they deserve and feel heard. So I think that's a, a, a big point on all of that too. And where does that hands-on lead to? I'm, I'm, you need to fix me, you need to fix me. So in the end, we know from our outcomes, I mean, if you look at our outcomes versus traditional PT, it's, it's a big difference. So our workers' comp outcomes, 7.1 visits. ODG, which is you know the agency that determines how much you should get, that's usually at 13.1. And the clinics were doing 16 visits. So we're less than half. And then our group health was 3.9 visits. Our self-pay is 2.2 visits. Big difference when you empower that patient, teach them how to fix themselves. So yeah, they do want that love, you know, they want that hands-on, they want to make sure they feel, but what are they really getting? They're getting more and more passive care and that's not good long-term. Short-term's great. Yeah, I, and, and focusing on the outcome because the outcome, that's that what matters. So when you have the outcome, then you can, doesn't matter the method you, you use to get there. If you are getting there, I think that should be the, the, the point, right? Yeah. And the two patients I always talk about, again, two I would never have thought. One of my very first patients, again, about five years ago, had CRPS, uh, RSD. So he was a 25-year-old that had an 85-pound brick fall into his foot um, and spent the next four months on a couch with his foot elevated. His doctor told him to keep his foot elevated and just rest. So, you know, I see him for the first time. I don't know who was in front of me, what kind of patient, and as soon as you see his foot swollen after four months, you know, blotchy, no hair. Um, I can't put a sock on, can't put a sheet on his foot. You, all the red flags go off. Oh no, this is a CRPS. And I can't treat that in my mind. I can't treat that virtually. But what does McKenzie tell us to do? Empower that patient, give him something, give him an exercise for him to do. So I was like, I'm going to write this off that he needs to be transferred to a clinic because he needs the desensitization. He needs the therapist put their hands on him. But he's in here in front of me, so I'm going to have that patient start to do it, put his hands on and try to put his foot on the ground. Lo and behold, long, you know, he had to do that exercise every two hours versus going into a clinic three times a week. Big difference in the outcomes. So that's what my mind is. You, you just The less we do, the more we coach and the more the patient does, amazing the difference. Yep, yep. And the long-lasting results, you can do three, four, five times a day an exercise comparing to go two or three times a week and get mm -hmm. some passive and some active care, but not really be educated and empowered to do at home. And I mm -hmm. think the other big point is you are in their homes, so you can use whatever they have there and adapt and show them how to do. So the chances are they are going to do that by themselves much higher than if you're in the clinic just saying, I'll do this at home, but they don't really imagine or picture how they're going to 
accomplish that. So I think that's another big point that is positive on telehealth. Yes, yes. And, you know, as long as we get some of these patients because he couldn't drive, we were his only option. He didn't want to come virtually. He would prefer yeah. to go on the clinic, but he couldn't drive. Then in the end, he's like, wow, you know, so. That's cool. Like, so people that don't expect to have like a positive experience and then they get surprised with the, the That's experience. The yes. Yeah. So they're all shocked by the experience. Yeah. And where do you see physical therapy and telept in the next five to 10 years? Another great question. Now, this is my hope. You know, we don't know where things are going to go, especially with politics and where healthcare is going to go. Is it going to be socialized or is it going to be more individualized? And even, you know, PT, where's our practice going? Um, I'm seeing a lot of positive things. Direct access is, you know, is full force right now. And the most important thing about direct access, our liability insurance is still really low. So all the states have had direct access for 40 years plus, you know, PT's liability is a thousand a year at the most. So that's saying we are properly treating and we're referring them out when, when we're supposed to. Um, so I do hope that we are going to start to see some changes that therapists will be the gatekeeper of musculoskeletal. And I'm hoping that it continues that the patient is a decision maker, not a government deciding on what benefits or, you know, the HMO type things. I'm hoping it does go more that, you know, we're empowering that patient to decide what care is best for them. So I do see, I, I'm seeing that the physical therapist will play a more integral part because they it's a cheaper, you know, the lower level clinician first to screen that patient and then refer them to the physician if further workup is needed. And how do we see us uh, increasing our direct access numbers? Um, is trying to target directly the customers or like how do you see us as PTs in general just educating the public to go straight to us? The only way to do that is go to the pain point and that's who's paying the bill. Yeah. So don't waste your time with physicians. Don't waste your time with insurance carriers. Who's actually paying the bill? And that's the employers. Even the patient, they don't get, oh, I have insurance. You know, the, the concept isn't there because they think their insurance is going to pay for everything or it's really the employers who are paying that bill. That's who you have to go after. Because a lot of patients, they pay, um, the healthcare is not cheap. So they Many times yeah, they don't have that deductible. mindset of like, I still have to pay out of pocket for PT. It doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. They're not used to. So I think that's uh, something that's, it's a little bit harder to, to overcome. Or yeah, and then, then that's why, especially the high deductibles, they skip their PT because of the high deductible. But yet if they came to us instead of their physician, if they start to realize that, then there would be a lot cheaper in the long run but that's a big concept to change. Yeah. Yeah, keep pushing and, our APTA. And I think we touched a little bit on this, but how has COVID affected traditional care? You know, before COVID, so I would say February of last year, everybody thought we had three heads. There's no way you can do PT, <laughs> you know, virtually. Why would you do PT virtually? It has to be hands-on. You can't do range of motion. I get that quite, how do you do range of motion? Um, how do you test muscle strength? And as a McKenzie clinician, they're not as important as seeing that change. Um, but because of COVID, people are now like, okay, maybe there is something here. But it, it's still a small 
percentage because we still we lost a lot of our patients as soon as the doors start clinics started opening again because case managers were like no 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 there's no way you're getting good care even though the patient was saying no I love it I'm I'm showing positive benefits that mindset is still there there's just no way you can get care or physical therapy um, through telehealth but we're slowly the ball starting to roll and you know now our outcomes are there so it's things are starting to change and. Again, the faster we get that patient to a qualified clinician that's going to reduce their fear and keep them active, the better off they're going to be. Telehealth is how you're going to do it. We want instant access. Someone throws out their back, boom, they have instant access to somebody that can evaluate them. Yeah. And just curious about the workers' comp. So when the, the pandemic um, hit, it, everybody was transitioning to telehealth. So now... Um, what are their thoughts? Like, did they like it, the telehealth and they want to continue or they want to go back to the clinic? This, this, the, the vast majority of uh, hey, Patients companies. definitely wanted to continue with telehealth. It was so convenient for them. No. So if they awesome. went to their daughter's house, they could, st- for the week, you know, they could still have it. They, and that bond with your clinician was stronger. I, w- you know, I never would have thought that, but that bond is stronger with that one clinician because they had that same clinician all the time. So major- vast majority of patients w- absolutely want to stay with telehealth. The ones that we lose are the ones that um, before, when they make that decision up front, no, I don't want telehealth because I'd rather go to a clinic. That's when that you know, insecurity about telehealth is there. But once they start after the first visit, the majority definitely would rather stay with it. Same with clinicians, just like clinicians. Once they start, now, Mackenzie, uh, traditional cl- clinicians aren't sh- uh, sure what to do, but Mackenzie clinicians, I mean, this is, this is the life. You yeah. Be anywhere. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Um, so let's transition to our final questions. Um, what is your favorite resource of information? There is anything particular that you like, books, uh, researches? Yeah. So, of course, the Mackenzie Institute's website we're, it's a fast moving world. So I don't have any journals sent to my home anymore. Um, I go there all the time. Um, but then Twitter, you know, I, you know, I, uh, with the British Journal of Sports Medicine, the Physical Therapy Journal, I get to see what's out there and just read the head, the, the, what the case or the research article is. Or um, colleagues that I admire that are uh, twi- uh, tweeting out certain researches, research articles, and then I can start to read them. And I care, I love sports medicine and the psychology of pain, anything with psychology of pain, there's, that's just such an untapped thing. You know, Mackenzie's kind of black and white, this is the injury, but there's so many patients, why, you know, they need a lot more coaching, what's going on there, that whole world that we still have to get into, I love that. That's just my little passion. So, you know, my favorite book, it all goes back to that is um, Viktor Frankl, um, he was in a concentration camp, A Man's Search for Meaning. And it just opens your eyes out. Who can survive a concentration camp? And it all has to do with our minds. Like what we think is waiting for us on the other side. Or, you know, you're a worker's comp injury. You're blaming the employer. You're frustrated with that. Your healing's not going to be there. So, you know, changing that mindset as a therapist, as our, we're coaches or motivators, that's what we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And what would be the best advice to clinicians that are starting their careers? So, you know, my long career, especially going back over 30 years, everything we learned in school back then has been flipped, <laughs> debunked. So I, I would say, you know, when you come out, 
the most important thing is to have that mind open to learning. You're just beginning and know that what you learn now is going to be, things are going to be flipped in 10 years, 20 years. So you know, Mackenzie pushed that reevaluation each and every visit. We got to keep with that. So clinicians generally don't do that. You know, I train clinicians nationally and I never saw that. McKenzie will, not all McKenzie clinicians do though, but reevaluate, you have to prove just because you think and you were taught something works. That same um, diagnosis, mechanical derangement on a patient, this treatment will work on one, but I need to do this way on the exact same derangement on another patient. You know, it might be retraction sitting versus retraction lying. They, they respond differently or they need different motivation. So each patient's different, reevaluate, question everything. And I think humility as well as clinicians, prove that your treatment works. You got to prove yourself each and every time. Yeah, yeah. And I think Mackenzie, it's a, it's a tool that helps us to do that because you are, uh, we do that naturally. Every time you go in the beginning, at least I do, in the beginning of the visit, you just go and retest the movements to see what the exercise did to you these last days that you repeat it. So I think it's just something that comes naturally. And, yes. and, and you are all the time assessing and, and making sure that you are really improving or not. Because mm-hmm. that lateral derangement become a posterior derangement, a posterior become an anterior in 24 hours. <laughs> so we have to reevaluate. Yeah, yeah. And what personal qualities and abilities that you think are important to become a successful PT? And I, you know, going back to that question just before, um, being open, uh, you know, a a PT really, we're not a fixer. We're a motivator and a coach or a teacher. So having that humility to live, you know, empathy, all those catchphrases. Um, But the, you know, the biggest thing is to question everything, question your skills, each reevaluate each and every time. And that's hard because, you know, we kind of think we're gods after a while, you know, I fixed that person. I fixed, you know, it's me fixing them. No, that person's body fixed themselves. We just helped go in the right environment for that. Um, And that's what we had to the humility and the just constantly questioning yourself to learn more open to learning. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Um, Aideen, if people want to learn more about you, your work, how they can contact you and find you. So virtual physical therapists with an S. So virtualphysicaltherapist.com is the best way to get in touch with us. My email address is my first name, Aideen, A-I-D-E-E-N at vptsapp.com. And thank you again for um, giving me this opportunity. This was wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, of your busy schedule to come here, talk to me and share your thoughts and knowledge. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It was wonderful. Questions, suggestions, or topics you want to hear about, talk to me on ptprotalk.com. Join our email list to receive updates and new episodes and subscribe here. Tell your friends about it and be sure to share. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. We are going to publish today's video recording on my YouTube channel, so you can check the link out in the show notes. Thanks for joining us and I'll see you next time.